Good morning. Uh, that was personal request. I like to make sure that the music matches my personality. So, um, uh, happy St. Patrick's Day for most of you, unless you're like me and represent the colorblind people of the world. It's just a regular day for us. Um, man, it's good to be here. And um, I probably don't say this enough, but man, uh, I just love this church. I love you. Me and my wife, um, we're so grateful to be part of a church like this. And I just want to make sure you know that, that, that you mean so much to us, and we love you guys. And um, we're going to be jumping into a uh, sermon here, so uh, I'm going to pray, and, uh, and we're just going to jump right on in. Does that sound good to everybody? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for giving that gift to us to just to help us um, move forward, to help us have a greater and grander vision of the, of the future. God, I just pray that we would we would change our hearts around your truth. Lord, not try to live lives that are trying to, to kind of bend and, and move the truth to us. God, we want to we adjust our lives to you. And so today I just pray that you would, you would do in our hearts what needs to be done, Lord, that we would leave here with a new perspective, a new vision maybe that you want us to have or, a, or an encouragement and, and a, maybe that you just kind of put steel in our spine, that we have a new courage coming out of here. But whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that we are open to what you have to teach us. And Jesus, thank you for being present with us today. Spirit, would you, would you communicate what you want communicated through the band, through myself, and really through your community today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so my daughter ran up to me uh, a number of weeks ago and said, Daddy, Daddy, I have a loose tooth. It was the first loose tooth she had. So she started coddling it and treating it like it's super special. You know, wouldn't let uh, anybody, you know, touch it because it was just a little loose. And, and she kept on, um, you know, using her tongue. She'd be like, Dad, check this out. And she'd do something and it would kind of go off sideways and be like, check that out. But she just kept coddling this tooth for a long period of time. And as a Bedlian father, like that's a, for us, this is like a, a fatherly right is that tooth. And so I was like, when do you want me to pull that thing? She's like, no, not yet. And uh, finally, it was her birthday, and it was like it was just like hanging on by a thread. You ever, dads, any of you had kids or you know nephews, cousins that have that? It's just like hanging there. And she, I was just like, I just want to pull that out. And it was her birthday. And I was like, hey, you know, the tooth fairy, and you can you can make some change. I think it's the day. It's a special day. It's your birthday. And she's like, okay. So I started loosening it a little bit. I was, you know, like, and I'm, I had this probably fiendish look in my eyes because when, when my teeth were starting to fall out of my head at the appropriate age of like five or six, my dad had a fiendish look in his eyes. He was just so excited. So I started wiggling this thing, and it kind of had, she's like, ow. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, it kind of has a good hurt. He has no, you know what I'm talking about when a tooth is coming out? It has a good hurt. And as I was looking at this thing, there was another tooth growing in behind it. Like, we need to get this thing out because that thing was starting to grow in kind of crooked. And, and, and for the, the new tooth to grow in, we had to pull out this old one. And, and I was kind of going back and forth. She's like, no, 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 Dad, I changed my mind. And I was like, too late. And I was like, ah! And she was like, ah! And I was like, ah! And then I went, just joking. And she was like, ah! And it was still in her head. <laughs> 
And the fear of having the tooth pulled out was greater than the actuality of having that tooth pulled out. And she's like, oh, oh. And I was like, let me just check it real quick. And, and I, went, I pulled it out so quick. She didn't even know. And she's like, well, Dad, I just don't want you to pull it out. I was like, check it out. And she was like, what? And she felt there was a little bit of blood. And she couldn't believe it. Ran to Mom. She's like, get the tooth fairy ready. You know, she had her tooth. And it was so funny. But I feel like sometimes in our lives, God's looking at uh, an aspect of our heart. And he's seeing a tooth hanging. And he's like, just let me help you with that and um, especially when it comes to some of the higher challenge areas of faith like when we talk at church we talk about being a people of thanksgiving I we rarely hear people push back like I'm not gonna be thankful I want to be bitter and grumpy the rest of my life we talk about worship you know we rarely have people like I hate worshiping God it's the worst you know um, I just don't feel like I have bandwidth for that in my life and I feel like that's asking too much of me and um, we rarely hear that, but when you, we talk about things like forgiveness or generosity, things that like get close to the heart, that's where it's like high challenge. And sometimes like letting go of selfishness so that the new life of God's generosity and selflessness can grow in, like God has to like kind of reach in there and pull out the tooth so this new thing can grow. Um, Today is a, is, is a high challenge day. I just want to let you guys know that. It's a high challenge day. And, and not all of our teachings always focus on the high challenge. Some of it's very invitational. Sometimes it's like we're talking about acceptance and belonging and, and pieces that are so important so that we can be changed and others can be changed. But Jesus talks about generosity um, more than he talks about almost any other teaching and so we want to make sure that we give this as a church that this is who we are we have a generous God who wants us to be generous people now my son right now is in the stage especially with his sister he runs up to her with two purposes uh, either to love and hug or to fight and bite <laughs> you ever seen this before he's like ah and uh and he'll run up and he'll like chomp her. You ever been bit by another human being before? <laughs> the feeling of like anger and rage rises up in you like you just the indignity of being bitten by another human being. Like I, I've been bit by my, by my dog in a play bite and he bit a little bit too hard. It's nothing like if you get bit by another human being. Um, Pastor Scott, when he's bit me in the past, made me so, <laughs> so angry. I mean, some of you probably know about that habit of his. And... Um, <laughs> My son, he either wants to fight and bite or play and hug. And, uh, and, and as parents, like, you want your kids to take on the best characteristics of your life, right? I, I want him to, to be known as, like, a wise, loving, good man as he grows up. And I, it wouldn't be cool with me, and I don't think other people, if he's 20 years old, he's still fighting and biting. 25-year-old, fighting and biting. 30 years old. I mean, at some point, you, got, you want that to change. And we want him as parents to take on the best characteristics of our lives. And I've been telling Sarah, I, I just wish you would let go of the, your characteristic of fighting and biting. And um, when we talk with him, I say, no, or no, we don't bite. Bedlians don't bite. And he get, when I, we say no or don't, he just kind of, he'll tear up and he'll get mad, he'll start crying. And, and, but we try to point him to what we want him to become, not just the, the rule and the policy that's being brought. We were like, we want you to, we want other people to love you. 
We want you to have friends. We want you to hug and to take care of people and to look after them, not bite. Biting doesn't build friendship, doesn't build trust. We want you to be a trustworthy, loved little boy that grows up to be a wise man someday. And God looks at us and he, and he sees like tendencies that we'll have of bitterness and unforgiveness and, and a lack of generosity, selfishness. And he wants us to change because we have a generous father. And if people are to know the father, we want to be a church, a community where people see us, even though we're not perfect, that we are becoming like him. Amen? We're becoming who we're born, who we were born to become. And that takes some truth and love. Jesus came in truth and love. And so we want to be gracious, we want to be loving, but we, we don't want to lower the bar that Jesus puts for us because he wants us to become children of God, growing children of God. So does that put the context for today? You guys with me? Um, the, there's some challenge here, but just know that it's in, it's, it's, it's in love. And, uh, and that we're all in process and all in journey, and the steps that you need to take might be different than others, and that's okay. So with that said, I want to jump right in. You guys remember we talked about this story of what's known as the rich young ruler, and it really sets the context for, the, for this whole series. And, and Mike, Michael Rabb kicked off and did a fantastic job. Is it, we don't want to become the rich young church. As Jesus kind of reveals the heart of the rich young ruler, and I think this could become our heart. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. In fact, all of Luke and Acts, these two books of the Bible, Jesus is continually walking his disciples, uh, people who would become disciples, who are thinking about becoming Jesus followers, and there might be some of you. And he's trying to say, hey, you have to, I don't want just part of you. I don't just want aspects of your life that you feel like giving over to you. I want the whole thing. I want all of you. And I want to see you become who I created you to be. And so here's the truth. And like the rich young ruler, he just continues to help us grow and see who we really are and who he wants us to become. So uh, it says in Luke chapter 18, a religious leader came to Jesus and asked this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's an important question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, in verse 20 says, to, to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. He goes into the Ten Commandments. He's like, you know the, our, our, our faith. Do what our faith requires. You know the Ten Commandments. These are some very basic things. And the, the, this young man says, um, and religious man says, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. I've been living this life. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. Look at my life. I think I'm blessed because I've been doing it. Everybody that would look at this man's life would say, he's blessed and he's wealthy because of how good he is, how faithful and religious he is. He's doing everything that's required of him. And he's, the question of what do I have to do to gain eternal life, you're kind of seeing in the conversation, he's kind of saying, look at how I've lived to earn eternal life. You guys kind of see that in the passage? But there's probably some earnest like, like, is there anything else I'm missing? And Jesus, you know, he says, you, sh- you should do this. And the man says, oh, I've done all these commandments. And then Jesus heard the answer and said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. See, this, this man probably his whole life has been told like, you're doing everything right. You're doing great. And Jesus sees a major issue in his life. And he puts his hand right on it. 
He says, look, you've been told that you can serve God and money. But you can't. You have to serve God or money. Money, is money evil, friends? The Bible does not teach that money is evil, economy is not evil, business isn't evil. But the love of money, greed, is wrong. Can we agree on that? Even if you're not a Christian, can we agree on that? I think it's so important. And Jesus has this straight up talk with him. He's like, you either follow me or you follow your wealth. Which is it going to be? When I, uh, a few, few months ago, we, were, we started having issues with the electricity in our house. Where there were some breakers that kept going out and there were some things that weren't working right. And we had to hire an electrician to come look at this, look at our, our breaker panel. And as he's looking through it, he started going through each circuit. Any of you guys work on breakers or anything like that? You guys track with me or you've ever had to flip a switch you know, down in the basement or outside the house. Well, he starts going through the different circuits and he checks this one, it's good. He checks this one, it's good. He checks this one, it's good. He gets through all the different circuits and everything's good. It was like the last two or three and all of a sudden he finds the one that's, that's having the problem, having the issues. And um, everything in our house, if you were looking at our house, would seem fine, you know? The thing about electricity, it's kind of behind the walls. You can't see it, but it's there. And electricity, living in our uh, day and age, is important, right? Like if the wireless goes down, who knows what's going to happen? Like Armageddon's here, and people are going to be freaking out. And so it's important that the house is working. And so in our house, the, the, you know, the water heater was working, the, um, the dishwasher was working, that circuit, the circuit for the kitchen and this room and that room, but there was, a, there was an area that wasn't, he found it. And it's like the area that you don't, you least expect or you don't know about that can actually bring the house down when it comes to electricity, right? So the electrician had to figure it out, had to find it. And uh, I, I think it's the same thing with God. Jesus is like this master electrician and this guy's like, everything in my house, my life, the house of my life is great and I've been following all these rules, I have all these good things and Jesus is like, well, you know, the basic breakers, the basic circuits of, you know, uh, uh, not committing adultery, being faithful, uh, the circuitry of, of integrity, not lying, this, the circuitry, circuitry of um, honoring your mother and, and, and father, of love and, and, and honor. And he's going down the circuits. And then Jesus, he, he, the guy's like, well, I've done all that. And he's like, but there is one circuit that could bring the whole house down. Are you tracking with me? And it's generosity. Give your money away. Like, are you going to follow your money or are you going to follow me? Because you can't serve both. It doesn't mean you can't have money that serves you as you serve God, but you can't make money that money your God. And so this powerful moment happens, and it says the man heard this and became very sad, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, well, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus replied, what's impossible for people is possible with God. And, and this is the crux of the lesson today. And I'm, I'm gonna, I want to take us as a young church, as a, as a group of people, through some of the key passages, key teachings of Jesus to help us release like that tooth that needs to be pulled, to help us see the circuit that's, been, that's gone bad that could actually bring the whole house down. And it, it's something that matters to God because if the circuitry is all right and we have forgiveness and mercy and faithfulness and integrity and all those things right, but one thing really off, like that still sinks us. 
And so in this passage there, we see the man walks away sad. And you notice, you'll notice if you read through the book of Luke or Acts, there's typically three major responses to Jesus when he teaches on money. The first is like this guy, is to walk away sad. What that means is he recognizes and becomes aware of his blind spot, but doesn't have the will or the want to change it. Have you ever seen someone realize what was going on in their life, realize the root of the issues that they have, thought everything was figured out, and then all of a sudden realize and it hits them, and then they're bummed because they don't change anything? They don't want to change. It's the heart. You can't want that for somebody. They have to want it for themselves. So the first response is, is sadness. The second is scoffing, like looking down to scoff at someone. You know when you're looking down at someone, the, the biggest problem with that is that you don't know what's above you. You don't know that there's a higher life, there's a higher way of living. And, and people would scoff at Jesus' teaching. Think about that. The Lord of glory, Jesus who abandoned the riches of heaven, stepped down into the muck and sin and evil of our world and sacrificed himself with the ultimate act of generosity. He would have people, religious people, claiming to follow the God that sent Jesus, laughing and scoffing at his teaching about generosity. And so maybe, I don't know you, but if you've ever heard a message or read anything on generosity and kind of and read one of teach, uh, Jesus' teachings on that and kind of scoffed a little bit about that, you're like, oh, that's, that's not for me or that's not for, just think about that. The Lord of glory, the most generous king ever, that we would scoff at his teaching. I think it's really important to listen to that. And the third response is surrender. The third response is Surrender. He'd say, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have. In fact, we see this in a chapter over from this rich young ruler. We see another rich man named Zacchaeus. Jesus sees him in a tree. You guys remember this from last week? We touched on it briefly. Jesus sees him. No one wants to be him. No one wants to be around him. He's wealthy. He's built his wealth. He's a tax collector, but not just a tax collector. He is a leader, a chief tax collector. So he's got a bunch of guys underneath him that go collect uh, from his own countrymen for the Romans. So they see him as a traitor. He's wealthy off the backs of, of his own people. And they won't even, people won't let him get in to see Jesus. And Jesus sees him up in a tree. And he says, I'm coming to your house today. And Jesus spends time with this sinner, this guy who just as much as the rich young ruler is like we talked about last week, like a monkey, if you want to trap him, you put a shiny thing in a little coconut. And once they get their hand around it, they can't get out of it. The only way to get out of a trap like that is to let go. And Jesus goes from the rich young ruler to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has the same issue. Money has been his God. And when he experiences the grace of God, the love of God, like the fact that God would come and give acceptance to him, that God would want to come and eat in his home, the home of a sinner. In that day and age, that's like, no, you would be infected with a sinner's sin. Jesus didn't care. He went to his house and showed the world what Jesus came here to do, to seek and to save those who are lost. You tracking? And the religious community were so happy about it. We're so happy that you're with Zacchaeus. No, they were angry. They were upset. And this moment happens with Zacchaeus where it's, as they're grumbling, as the religious leaders are angry that Jesus is with a notorious sinner, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Basically, he's saying his wealth, his fortune, I will give it away. Why would he do something like that? The grace and forgiveness of God. The grace and forgiveness of God. 
We'll talk about this later, but notice the, the rich young ruler asks the question, what do you have to do to gain eternal life, to earn eternal life? Zacchaeus shows us the answer. Eternal life, the kingdom of God, can never be earned. It can only be received. I'd love to hear an amen on that. The kingdom of God, eternal life, the life of Jesus cannot be earned. It can only be received. And Zacchaeus receives, receives the grace of God and is transformed. And, and everything in his life is different. He's no longer the owner of this. This is God's. And he's changed. So I want to talk to you guys about the key changes that have to occur for us to, to walk the path that Zacchaeus walks. To walk a path where our lives are changed. The first thing we talked about last week, and I don't have to go into it. If you have your notes, you can pull them out. But you either serve God or money. You can't serve both. In Luke 16, it says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and you'll love the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And Zacchaeus is giving up what he was enslaved to. He's letting go. Where the rich young ruler walked away sad because he couldn't let it go. And number two, here's an important question. This lets you know if you're struggling, you're in the grip of something. Let's you know if there's a circuit breaker that's out in the house of your life. Are you rich toward yourself or are you rich toward God? Are you rich toward yourself or are you rich toward God? Uh, the reason we're talking about this isn't to shame you. Jesus didn't talk about wealth and money to shame us, but to change us to change our perspectives, to change our habits, to change our hearts. Are you rich toward yourself or rich toward God? Um, there's, a, there's a story of a, of a wealthy farmer who begins farming, farming, and Jesus is talking about generosity. He said there once was a farmer, and, and he was farming, and he became so sec- successful that, that he, he all of a sudden had too much, um, uh, you know, whatever he was farming. He had too much of a crop that came in. So he thought to himself, what am I going to do? And he, he, his solution was, let's build a bigger barn. And then he's more successful. And again, there's too much stuff. Let's build a bigger barn. And, and, and Jesus is, is talking about this guy who's blessed, like the rich young ruler. And people listening to the story are like, wow, he's blessed. And look, he must be doing something right for God to bless him. That's incredible. And how wise is he to continue building a, you know, bigger barns to hold all the stuff that he's, that he's gaining so he can keep it for, for himself and his family. And Jesus is like, you fool. What a foolish man. And everybody in the crowd would have been like, what? That's wisdom. That's saving. That's taking care of the inheritance. And Jesus, what a foolish man. Because the God that, that day where he brings in the most he's ever brought would demand his life and say, you're coming home. Now who gets your wealth? Where is it all going to go? Where is all the stuff you saved in the barns? Gonna, how's that going to serve you now? And Jesus says this amazing quote and it's in Luke 12, 21. A person is a fool. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would call people fools? I mean, he was willing and brash enough to say, hey, if you're acting like a fool, you need to know it. Luckily, my wife is a little bit kinder than that, but she helps me know when I'm acting foolishly. We all need people like that in our life, don't we? And Jesus says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship toward God. Are you rich toward yourself or are you rich toward God? It's easy to be rich toward ourselves or the things that we want to be rich toward. It's easy to say like, oh, I want to be rich toward this. I want to be rich toward this. It is difficult to be rich toward the things that stretch us and the things that God wants us to be rich in. Um, It's hard. 
Um, um, I had a friend, um, this is years ago, and he, um, he was a hat guy and a shoe guy. How many of you guys know hat people and shoe people? And often like they have like a, it's a, I don't know why it's tied together, but maybe it's like from top to the bottom, you got to look good. There's like this, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like he looked good. I mean, he wore good shoes and he loved it. But like when he saw a hat, it's like he had to buy it. If it fit, it would fit his like collection, you know? And so he'd, he'd have all these hats. And he had a whole room of hats and then shoes. And he had hundreds of shoes because he was a collector of them. And he'd probably wear at least 20% of the shoes. And he'd probably wear, probably more, probably like 50% of the hats. And he loved them, and they were just incredible. And he would just collect these things. And, um, and it was a good wardrobe. I mean, he, had, he looked slick. He looked really good. And it was um, one day that we were, we were talking, and uh, we were talking, he's talking about generosity. He's like, yeah, like, we've been learning a lot about generosity. They've taken steps. He'd been Christian for a long time, most of his life. He said, we've, we've been starting to serve at our church, and we're, we're, you know, serving in the children's area. And he's like, and then every week I try to be super generous. And, um, and he's like, we, we, buy, um, we buy bagels for the church um, for free. I was like, that's really cool. He's like, yeah, we buy a dozen bagels every morning. Um, for the for the church, and I just thought that you know that's really cool. He was telling me the um, the steps of generosity he was in, and sometimes you guys, that's an incredible step just to learn to be generous generous with your time and and your treasure. And um, but as time went on, you know, years, it was the same. He was in the same place, and I, I remember there was a time in my life where I was moving from I was I was in college. And my giving life, like toward the church and toward things to be generous toward, was very like up and down. Like it was as as things struck me, and sometimes I'd be like very generous because it wasn't like I had a my heart wasn't like attached to my money, but I was just kind of flippant with it. I wasn't intentional, and I was really challenged by a pa- by passages like this, where where Jesus is saying like, "Are you storing up a barn full of stuff?" That's going to end up given to somebody else or it's going to rot or burn someday? Are you storing those things up for yourself? Or are you, are you investing in, in God? Are you being rich toward God or rich toward yourself? And, and it was like God had to reveal to me like there were areas of my life where I had like my own closet of hats and shoes. But I was giving bagels to God. Does that make sense? And my fear is as a, as a church, as an American church, is that, that we, can, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're being really generous to God when we're not. We're, we're building these big closets for ourselves and we're giving bagels to God. And God's like, hey, the bagels are great. It's a great place to start, but do we grow from there? Do we get free? Do we let God pull the tooth of selfishness out of us so that something new can grow? One of the biggest challenges that Jesus gives... Uh, in the New Testament and the Old is of generosity. In the, uh, in the Old Testament, it, it really starts the, the idea of generosity and one of the key principles is the tithe. How many of you guys have heard us teach about the tithe? And tithe is like giving 10%. Like I remember when I was you know, growing in generosity in my early 20s and I was looking at this and I'm looking at my bills and I'm looking at my life and my expenditures and I'm, all of a sudden I'm starting to look percentage-wise. I'm like, dang, that's a lot. Have you guys ever had that moment? And like there's more like month left and I have you know check and and like I'm sure God would want me to take care of myself first and you know my thing but that's like a pattern so I was like learning to like give God 
like the leftovers give what's left rather than what's like what's for my best to like give him the first slice rather than the last little measly pieces and that was a big flip for me and the tithe was a really big step of faith but it was also something that really grew me the tithe is is kind of like it's like training wheels you put the training wheels on a bike so someone can learn to ride it you don't want to have a you know 30 year old still riding on the training wheels and the tithe is like not the ceiling of generosity it's the floor it's the floor and Jesus teaches this about the tithe. Check this out in the Old Testament. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always, always, always put God first in your lives. It's not to shame you. It's none of that stuff. It's, it's, a, it's helping you become aware of what generosity really is and to give towards the things of God. And I just, I just know like sometimes that can be challenging. I've talked with people that are like, well, that's Old Testament. They really want to argue about like the tithe is, the tithe is Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. The New Covenant, the new relationship with God is freedom from that. And like, so I don't, well, I don't have to be under that at all. And, and I'm like, oh man, shoot. I don't think you know, I don't think you're making the argument you think you're making. Because Jesus, Jesus would say, yeah, you know, you're, okay, I'll, let's agree with you. Let's say you're totally right. There's no need for tithe. What Jesus teaches in the New Testament is that the New Testament is giving more. It's giving over the top abundantly. Read through Luke. Luke, look at Zacchaeus. You know, Lord, have it all. He's like, God doesn't want a little piece, and he's not, he doesn't want the training wheels. He wants the whole bike and you. And you by saying, like, the training wheels aren't are Old Testament, you're, you're missing that the, there's a whole bike of generosity. And you're not making the argument you think you're making. And I wasn't making the argument I thought I was making. And all of a sudden you realize what Jesus is really asking. And you're like, wow, that requires a lot. But that could change the world, couldn't it? And, and it's so easy to, like, the selfish nature that wants to keep the tooth in, that wants to ignore the breaker that's broken in the house and the wiring that's broken, that part of us that's just like, ah, I don't want to have to change and give to the electrician. I don't want to have to give to the things of God. I like giving the things I like to give toward. We'll come up with reasons not to give. We'll think of, like, um, well, how many of you guys have heard of churches or church leaders that have um, fallen short of integrity? And you've been like, you know what? I don't know if I want to give toward something like that that represents that. And so like some people like they'll look at those types of realities and those kind of shortcomings and be like, well, I don't need to give toward that. We live in the Northwest. Some of you guys have noticed that? We live in the Northwest. Um, the Northwest typically is skeptical of anything organized. And anything that, that the giving money toward an organization is like it, it, there's, a, there's a reticence in the Northwest, unless it's the government. And that's just like kind of a, a value thing in the Northwest, typically. Now, not for everyone, but I'm just saying typically. And so you can go different places, and generosity is easier in some places in this area, and then it's harder in this area. Now, let me, let me put some to you guys that, that I've been thinking about. When we try to use the lack of integrity of a church or a person to keep from giving to God's church, to his, his family, I, I think it's a lot like this. How many of you guys um, saw the scandal that happened this week with rich parents that were buying their kids entrance into schools. How many of you guys were excited to see that? How many of you guys thought, That's, that angers me? Like, think about all these kids who've worked so hard and don't even make it in, and someone's parent just, not only is paying for the rich school that costs, you know, like a lifetime to pay for most of us, 
but they're buying their way into these schools. Like, that's, that's unfair. How many of you guys are like, that's unfair, that's not right? How many of you guys saw that and were like, if the education system has leaders that do that, I am never going to educate myself. I am not going to send my kids through school because of someone's lack of integrity. Do we, do we use someone's lack of integrity in that area that is untrustworthy to, say, to write the whole thing off and say, I'm not going to learn another thing with my life. I will never send my kids to school. Of course not. That's like silly. What we do is we like, we're going to ask deeper questions. We're going to make sure that things are trustworthy and we're going to make sure to invest in that. And, and, and we move forward. Um, if you are... Uh, you know, if you ever have bought anything in your life and you've invested in the economy of the U.S. and you've bought things like cars or clothes or anything like that, and then you find out that there's a business or with a CEO or a group of people that, that, were, that had no integrity and that there was, there was a major scandal, do you, do you make the decision that, like, you know what, I will no longer invest in the U.S. economy. I will create my own barter system. <laughs> and I will just trade things. That's my, that's my new system. Of course not. So what do you think God thinks when we use somebody who's a bad example, an obvious bad example, or a church that had a struggle, and saying, you know what, I don't, therefore I don't need to give to God's family. Jesus died for the body of Christ. Jesus said himself, um, I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. God has purchased the redeemed community, you and me, this community, so that he can use the church on earth to change lives. We're a broken, messy, forgiven group of people, but God loves us. And he wants his people to invest and bet on what God is betting on. The church, the bride of Christ, the very thing Jesus died and, and paid the ultimate price for. Ultimate price. And there can be the mentality, oh, man, I love, I love spirituality, but I hate the church. Man, you know, I've, I've always said this, but if you were to tell me that about my wife, George, I love you, but I hate your wife, we would not have a good friendship, would we? I don't want to say that to God. Here's the beautiful thing about the church. The church is the only place that will take you back over and over and over and over again. When you mess up, you mess up with this aspect of your life. You mess up with this aspect of your life. You're hurting in this area of your life and the church will be there over and over and over again because that is what the church is. It's, it is the bride of Christ, the place of forgiveness, a redeemed people. And so if we would withhold investing in the kingdom of God, like we're withholding from what, what God is investing in. He's investing in us and he's changing us. And I, I, I want to, like I was challenged at one point in my life, I want to make sure that, that you know that Jesus loves the church. The church is beautiful and messy. But he wants us to invest in his kingdom that way. Amen? The next thing is this. Um, it's easy to, um, it's easy to, to appear rich. To others, and this is number three on your notes. It's easy to appear rich toward God when you are really rich toward yourself. And in Luke 16, it says, "The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of his teaching on generosity and scoffed at him, looked down on him. The God who is about to go to the cross and die by their hands for their sins, they scoffed at him in his teaching on generosity, as their teeth are like rotting in their head." needing to be pulled out 
They're laughing at Jesus, who's teaching them how to like lose the, the, the selfishness of soul, the sickness of soul. The Pharisees scoffing at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. Whoa, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. You like to appear righteous. You like to be the rich young ruler. Not only have you deceived yourself that, oh, I'm, I'm following all the commandments, except like the one little one that says, don't put any other God before God. He's put money in that place. I'm following all the commandments. The religious, it says the, the Pharisees who loved their money and loved their status scoffed at Jesus. And Jesus says, you love to appear righteous. He's saying, you love not only to deceive yourselves, but you love to deceive other people into thinking that you're righteous. You want to know the health of the root of a tree? You look at the fruit of a tree. And God, not, he's not fooled by like the facade we put on Instagram, Facebook, our conversations, our relationships, our clothes, our way of being and acting the world. He's not fooled for a second. Even if we fooled ourselves and we fooled other people to think that we're generous. God is not fooled when we try to appear rich toward him, but we're really being rich toward ourselves we've got a closet filled with all kinds of stuff and we're giving him bagels he knows and 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 we can't be freed of selfishness i love in luke 21 jesus again who's trying to walk his disciples from the rich young ruler's path to the path of zacchaeus to be transformed jesus was in the temple and he watched the rich people dropping off their gifts in the collection box and then a poor widow came by and dropped two small coins, like nothing compared to the Pharisees. And Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them have given um, because she has given everything she has. She has given out of uh, everything. She's given the best to God, not just like what's left. The Pharisees are like, look at how, you know, how generous we are. I was like, they're not sacrificing near what this woman has sacrificed. Because God knows our heart. God knows our heart. And um, this woman is like Zacchaeus. She gets that there's a new way of living. It's not about how much I bring in. It's not about how much I have. It's not what I can gain. It's about what I can give. The last thing, or the, the next thing here is you can leave your riches here or you can send your riches ahead. I'll just finish with these, these last few points on your, on your sermon outline. You can leave your riches here. You can send your riches ahead. Jesus says, here's the le- lesson. Use your worldly uh, resources to benefit others, to make friends, to pour into souls, to pour into to people who last for eternity. Pour into that. Then when your possessions are gone, they will become... Uh, they will welcome you to an eternal home. He's saying don't invest the barns of what you're building. Don't invest the closet of your life that you're saving and saving and saving for yourself. Invest it in the kingdom. Invest it in the eternal things, not the material things. Invest it in the spiritual. Um, don't invest it in yourself because it's going to go to somebody else or it's going to end up in a dumpster someday. How many of you guys know that? We can know it but not be acting on it. We, we need to send what we have ahead, not just keep it here because we can't bring it with us. When we were going through France on our trip back from Africa, we had gone through like five or six countries. We hit France and everything I had brought, I had my bags filled with you know, all the things you need and suntan lotion and this lotion and toothpaste and um, shaving and all the stuff I needed, deodorant. And, and when I got to France, they had apparently new rules 
for international travel that nobody else had in the world. France was special. So we go through, my bag gets taken, the gal grabs it. She's like, you know, we, we have to look through your stuff. And she starts looking through it. But before she actually got to my stuff, um, the person before me had like deodorant that spilled out and like toothpaste onto the actual like table. She took it with her gloved finger and wiped it up and then just went into my bag. And she started lifting out my clothing, my shirts, my underwear. Pastor George's, you know, he's, all my stuff. And then she just starts throwing away all my things. Nope, nope, that come, can't come to France. That can't come to France. And I'm like, it's been in like five other countries. Why? It? And France is apparently very, very special when it comes to like what you can bring in, what you can't compared to the rest of the world. And I was like so frustrated. And it was like she was enjoying this. She was like, nope, nope, throwing it. And I was like, ah, I haven't even used that. I, I paid money for that. And just, nope, nope, you should have known. You should know about France. And I was... I was so frustrated that by the time I got my stuff, and it was, this was all carry-on stuff, and my, light, my, my uh, bag was lighter, and all my stuff had been thrown out, and I was leaving, I bought some chocolate, went to the plane, and opened it up and just started eating chocolate. <laughs> and I will tell you, the French chocolate made up for a lot of the... It was so good. And this is a total side note, but I was like looking at him, and it was France Air or something, and it was a French airline. It was the smallest little TV in front of me, and I was like, "How can? I, why is it so small? And then I realized, when they leaned back and it was this close to my face, it all of a sudden was a big screen TV, and the Lord worked it out. Apparently, that's how it works. It's just like you're sitting in the sarcophagus. And um, the kingdom of God, there's, we can't. We can't bring certain things into, into the kingdom of God, but we can send it ahead. I could have sent things ahead through France that I could have had. And when we invest in the kingdom, when we are generous, lives are changed. Souls are transformed. The kingdom is built. That's what happens when we're generous. Send your wealth ahead of you. When we started looking at uh, this building project called, we, uh, called Built, um, in, in June, um, we were looking at, man, we're in this building here, and we're here you know, on Sunday and Wednesday. What would it look like if we had the whole week to be a church that was a blessing to the community? Like, like that would be incredible. And, and in June, me and my wife had just moved to a new house. We had kind of downsized, and, and we were, um, my wife was quitting her full-time job as a teacher, and, and uh, so we were going from two salaries to one, and, and the new place that we were in had some remodel stuff that was needed, and, but then we, we felt God was calling us in, the, in our church to do this new built campaign, and, and, and I, it, we talked about it, prayed about it, and it just became very clear to us, like, it'd be nice to have a remodel, it'd be nice to have a few things done, but creating a place of belonging where lives could meet Jesus or my friends and my neighbors and people that Jesus loves could meet Jesus face to face, it became so clear. We decided we're going we're gonna to go all in with this and give over and above what our normal tithe is. I'm just telling you guys the process went through. It was kind of a, you know, when we're looking at the you know, one less salary that we're used to and we've got other needs in our home. But when we thought about it from an eternal standpoint, it was like, we'll invest in the kingdom of God all day long, every day. And it it was an eternal mindset that made it easy. If I'm not thinking about eternity eternity and impact, it makes it very difficult to let go and be generous. Amen? Here's the last thing. Life is about how much you can give, not how much you can gain. It's about how much you can give, not how much you can gain. Um, 
Jesus says, guard against every kind of greed, every kind of entitlement. Let it go. Um, materials do not equal happiness. How many of you guys know that? When we were in Africa, people had so much less than us, but so much happier and content than many people in America. So many people made far less. 70% of Sierra Leone lives on a dollar a day. And there were Africans I was seeing at churches and church movements that were giving more from less than Americans give who have more. And yet they're giving much, much less. And I was like, what would happen if the church was freed of all this? What would happen? Uh, the, the, the last thing is your generous life isn't earned, it's received. Zacchaeus received a new life from God and was changed. He didn't walk away sad, he walked away surrendered to him. Where do we need to surrender our life to God? So when you find Jesus, you realize everything I own is really on loan. I'll leave with you with this last thought. In Rwanda, in the 1994 genocide, the church had to look itself in the mirror after the, in a hundred days, a million people were murdered brutally. And the church had to look itself in the, in the mirror because prior to the genocide, 90% of the nation identified as Christian. So they had to ask the question, how could a church that says they love God and love people end up participating or not doing anything and with the basic commandment to love thy neighbor? What, what happened? And what they realized is that we had made disciples of the state and tribe, not disciples of Jesus. I think in America, it could be really easy to make disciples of greed and the American dream and the pursuit of happiness, not the pursuit of Jesus. And so today as you worship and as you pray and as you leave this place, make a decisive commitment. I want to ask you, if you're a Jesus person or thinking about being a Jesus person, make a decisive step of faith of generosity. That might start with giving bagels. And God would be like, hey, you're being generous. Might go to just giving what you have. It might be a step of, I'm going to give a percentage. I'm going to give 10%. I'm going to give, 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 because I want to see lives change, and I want God to change my heart. I don't want to be blind to my greed. I don't want to be blind to the sickness of selfishness. I want to be freed of that. And so be free today to follow Jesus with your whole life. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Give us your heart. Help us to be generous people. Pray that you would take this church and Lord, help us to be like the church of Zacchaeus, like we have been set free. And because of our freedom, we can bring freedom to others. In Jesus' name, amen.